So I came and spoke last Sunday evening. And as I spoke last Sunday evening, I was sharing one word, which I sense words for this church, which was restoration. And that God is the restoring God. But also I sense that God, I said to some of you Sunday evening, you've been very good and come back and hear me again. And I've got my watch on and I can see the time. Sorry, I was five minutes over last Sunday evening. Um, but I said there was another word as well, and that was healing. And I really sense God, as I'm speaking this morning, will heal hearts. Not necessarily because it's on a topic, you know, it's of healing. But because God's a God of healing as well as a God of restoration. And you, church, have a job to do in Little Over. And uh, one of my phrases that if you ever hear me preach or speak is this, crack on. Just crack on with it. Just get on with it. And in many senses, that this morning is what I kind of am coming to say to some of you, it's time to get on with fishing. It is time this morning to get on with fishing and And we're going to look at that in a moment, but before we do, don't worry, I will use the Bible. I know it's a worry sometimes when people come from different denominations and you think, Uh, so those who don't know me, I'm Kaz, I trained pretty much. I learned how to do this thing called ministry and lead church on the front rows of New Life um, for many, many years in Normanton. I lived on Upperdale Road for 12 years. Um, we were, our heart was for the inner city. My husband works full-time for Compassion. He and my children have been here a year ago. Um, my youngest came and wanted to be a sponsored child with Compassion afterwards. Because Eli figures, exactly. It's not about the money for him. He wants his photo in every person's fridge. Because he wants as many people as possible to pray for him. He's just like, but I get all these people to pray for me. So uh, that is, I've got a little tribe. You've met my cat. He also came on a photo, um, which is great. Um, We've had an addition to our family. It's a coffee machine. Um, So uh, Luke now introduces the coffee machine. It was for his 40th. So um, the photo of the cat has disappeared off his screens, and it's now the coffee machine, DeLonghi. Um, So, yeah, we also have an iPad that we call Abraham because it lives by the side of Luke's bed and it's the equivalent of another child of ours as well. Um, But we spent many years in Normanton and before that, uh, and then after that, um, I led a church in North Wales, which is a little bit of a culture shock to go from inner city Derby to the Costa del Geriatric, um, where the old people in my church, with respect were genuinely in the mid-90s. I had four or five of them. Uh, and and my, the average age was about 70. And that was my youth department. Uh, no, genuinely. But uh, God was really faithful. And throughout the time we were there, God began to do new things. So, uh, so yeah, and, and we moved back to Chelliston, um, which everyone tells me is very posh. Uh, I've probably brought the house prices down slightly by living there because I grew up in North Manchester and I am the mother you hear on the estate shouting, brush your teeth every morning. But this morning my topic is about fishing. I have never attempted to fish. I just need to put that out there to start with. It just seems like an incredible waste of time to me. (laughs) 
In fact, the nearest I've ever got to fishing is this. I quite like watching Deadliest Catch. Who watched? Hands up. Does anybody watch Deadliest Catch? There we go. See, some people are up and watch it. I just love these fishermen getting all passionate about lobster. And they're like, tie themselves. And like, sometimes they go over the side. It's all in the Bering Sea. I even know where that is. And I should also confess at this point, the other thing with fishing that I know about is the shipping forecast. Because I do like to listen to the shipping forecast regularly on Radio 4, and I've no idea why, but I do find it strangely reflecting and quieting. So if ever I'm having a bad day, I listen to the shipping forecast. Norfolk Zero, Southwark Zero, Dogger. I love it. I just, there's something about it. I don't know why, but I find it quite relaxing. That's my entire experience of fishing. I should also point out my vegetarians so don't even eat fish. Although I've, since moving back, my youngest has decided he wanted fish for his birthday and I thought you could just go and buy a goldfish. No, you cannot just go and buy a goldfish anymore. You need a degree to get a goldfish. Do not go to pets at home if you want an instant fish. Oh no. Because if you go to pets at home, you have to have a tank. And the tank has to be mature. Then you have to go back the following day. We prove that your tank is okay. I want a fish. I just want a goldfish. Like, just a simple kind of thing I can get in a bag off the fair. Oh, no. No. Not the case. We now have four fish that live in my son's bedroom. I have no idea what their names are. But they play Tig and they play hide and seek. Apparently. It's great when you're nine. Let's together read Mark 1, and we're reading verses 16 to 19. So in Mark 1, Jesus is calling his first disciples. And it says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net onto the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I'll make you fishers of men, And at once they leave their nets and follow him. When he goes a little farther, he sees James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he calls them. They leave their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and follow him. And then they go on to Capernaum, and the narrative goes on. These guys, this is my amazing net, actually smells of fish, bizarrely. I know, got out of package this morning, it smells of fish. Uh, um, apparently you're supposed to do, you can dress your home with this. But this is the closest I could get to a fisherman's net in Derby, because let's face it, there's not much call for sea fishing in Derby. I'm just going to, there we go. Ooh, leaving some shells as anointing in the church as well. These guys were fishing. And we often look at these, bless them, disciples. Because <laughs> we have hindsight, they didn't. But we often look at these four guys, especially, and think, well, they were just fishermen. They were strong men. They were preparing their nets. They were casting their nets to sea and pulling in. What we forget and what we don't realize with these gentlemen is this. Simon and Andrew... The fishermen have their own boat. They are men of means. And we also know, because the other two actually are in partnership in their boat with that amazing man of God, Peter. 
who actually was a real risk as a disciple because he was slightly older than the others. And you see, we think it's right. The first thing that happens is Jesus comes along with this really new idea and says, come follow me. And they go, all right. Fine. And then they just have a really nice life for the next three years. And they have a bit of fun as a bunch of lads. Not what Jesus is calling them to at all. He's calling them to a different thing. And Jesus doesn't say to them, put you down your nets and they'll never use it again. What Jesus does, he says, I see you fish for fish. You understand the principle. So now I'm going to get you to do the same thing, but I've got, a, I've got nations to win for me. I've got a globe to turn around. And you boys, with your means, in your little seaside life, Throwing your nets, coming back in, having the patience to throw your nets, pulling back in, going out morning, noon and night, knowing the seasons, because they're fishermen and they know the seasons. You I'm going to use to change around the world. It is uncommon for, for, for boys to be called to follow a rabbi in this time. It's not uncommon. So we look at this and think, well, that's a different idea. Come, follow me. These disciples have never been chosen by another rabbi. So they're obviously not the most religious boys. In fact, there's a blessing. There was a blessing at the time, which was this. May the dust of your rabbi be upon you. And when someone was covered in dust, it meant they were walking really close to their rabbi and they were covered in dust and, they were, and, and you could see that they'd been around a man of God, a rabbi. And these men knew that Jesus was a rabbi because rabbis wore different cloaks. See, Jesus had all the promises of God, all the promises on his cloak, tight around in the hem of his garment. He, they knew he dressed differently. He looked differently. He was a rabbi. This passage of scripture is probably one of my most like, favorite verses, if you can have them. Along with, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Like, I was born slightly bossy. I accept this. But I also know that I just thought, I have, I'm so excited about the idea that God uses us as part of the plan. I think it's incredible that God calls these men, along with Peter, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, no one else has chosen you but I choose you. Peter, feed my sheep. These boys change the globe. They followed him on a three-year adventure. Can you imagine daily talking with Jesus face to face? Can you imagine the stories of, oh, can you believe he managed to feed people with five loaves, two fish, and we were looking for a Greg's? Can you imagine for a moment as they're like, we're going to go off fishing one day, or we're going to go across in a boat, and suddenly Jesus is walking past you on water. We forget all of this and we just go, it's in the Bible, it's lovely. There's lovely. That's what my oldest would say, impressed at him. There's lovely. These men, the early disciples, perhaps not the most respected in society, 
smelt of fish, had a few attitude issues, let's face it. Peter, put down your sword, you've taken someone's ear off. Awkward. That doesn't happen often in youth ministry, I have to say. It's never happened whilst I was a youth pastor. But I think it possibly could happen in youth ministry. Peter, who goes out and preaches in Acts 2, which is like my favourite passage ever about the, ch- the early church and the day of Pentecost, and, and it's all crazy, and there's 3,000 people added to the church in one day. Can you imagine doing the follow-up after that? Like, pastors are like, how do we even strategize to reach, like, how do we even sort discipleship out? And somehow they manage it. Peter, a disciple, a follower. These guys dropped everything, knowing that God was going to use the thing in them that they had, and followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Can I ask today, some of you, have you even begun to follow him? See, it's actually really easy to go to church and not follow Jesus. There was a gentleman in the church, and I asked his permission to share this in the church that I was leading, Huey. And he came every week, every year, for his wife, Jennifer. And they've been coming since they were 19 to church, married. They had children in their 50s. Every week. And he chose to say yes to God two years ago. Because suddenly someone said, have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said yes to following him? Have you actually acknowledged that you need a saviour? Because I know this, little over, it's a little bit different than Normanton, just a little bit. For a start, little over school's here, so you know. But sometimes we don't need a saviour. But we all actually, at some point, have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Saviour of our lives. And we have to come before him and we have to acknowledge that he he is who we follow. He is who you follow. And maybe you've said this morning, yes, I follow Jesus and you come every Sunday. Great. And I can say this because I'm probably, chances are, most of you may see me around, you might see me at prayer things, but I'm not your pastor. So you can complain about me. Do you actually follow him and like get others to follow Jesus as well? Because the disciples weren't called to follow him and that was it. it didn't, he did not say, cast your nets, leave them there, that's it forever. You're never going to do fishing again. You're never going to fish for anything again. Just follow me. We're all going to die off together. Instead, he decided and he called them and he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, I'm following Jesus as an action. There's an action church. We're called to do more. So, with this in mind, I have a few top tips for fishing I've researched. Don't worry, if I was left to fish, I'd throw the net in. I mean, this is for actual fish, because, yeah, I'd throw the fish in. No, the net, well, I see that would be the problem. I would have genuinely throw fish in and think, there you go, swim fishes, be free. That would be it. But fishing for people. 
Step one for fishing. Keep it simple. All you need for rod fishing is a fiberglass cane or a graphite pole. And they're available at bait shops, discount stores, etc. You can get them for like, you know, about £10, some of them apparently. Can we apply that in church? Stop thinking fishing is the pastor's job. Stop thinking it's the leadership's department. It's okay, we've got somebody in that role now. A ministry lead. It is not just my job or anybody else's job. It is all our jobs to fish. Because as you fish where you fish and I fish where I fish, we begin to see a soul harvest. Because you know people that I don't know and I know people that you don't know. Let's keep it simple and just begin. Bait. Use bait. Church, your life is bait. Your life is what people are watching. Know what bait is. Your life Live your life with Jesus at the centre. Most of us have heard of a person who claims to be a Christian, and I'm not asking for perfect, but maybe the occasional acknowledgement of who he is would actually help. Now he's supposed to, apparently, cut off a length of line about a foot longer than the length of pole you need and tie it tightly. One of the things I do is I take teams all over the nations. I, have a, I just love Europe. I just sense God's going to do something. Europe is still in the darkest areas of the globe when it comes to Christianity, post-Christian generations. And I love taking teams to, to preach and to lead. And one of the things I say is this. Tell me your testimony. Tell me why you follow your Jesus. Tell me in such a way that an interpreter can interpret it. And say it without any of your Christian jargon. Because we do sound when we say, and then I came to Jesus and I was washed in the blood. It's a little bit odd to an unchristian that. A little bit odd. Choose your words. Prepare to explain in simple terms. You know, we say things like, we go to a Sunday service. Most of the society goes to the, um, the garage to get the car serviced. That's their context now. We live in a time when, when church words aren't necessarily common words. And we have to understand that. And we have to be prepared to explain in really simple, basic terms our level of faith and why. It was Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the academic, the one who knew everything, who came to Jesus and said, explain it. I don't get it. People are looking to you to explain Match your hook to your bait. 
bad knots, lose good fish. Now, any of you go fishing, you're going to be like, that's so true. I have no idea. But I can imagine they do. You tie something a certain way, it can get free. Harsh words lose baby Christians. Harsh words and um, you're in my seat. Lose people from church. The first few times, I was the leader of the church. And the first few times I sat at my church, Marion, God bless her, Welsh, Southern, from Southern Wales, she said, um, Pastor, you're in my seat. Uh, no, no, I, I need to sit here because I've always sat here. Yep, change is here to stay unless it's from a vending machine. I'm sorry, you're going to have to move because I can't. She sat in this chair here, tripping up over her to get to the, <laughs> to the service. And we always used to smile because in the end we actually put a little sign in her seat saying Marion's because it was just like harsh words leads good people. Our religious spirits at times, and we all have them. I am included in this. I cannot believe they've come to church looking like that. I cannot believe they didn't know the words to that song. Or did you hear their phone going off? Or let's all turn to this verse in the Bible and someone's like, we are in a nation that is becoming biblically illiterate. So unless we really get good at using the Bible and start showing people how to use it, when people come to church, it's kind of awkward because they, they don't know where things are. Is that, is that Old Testament? I mean, I remember someone becoming a Christian and saying to me, Joseph, this Joseph you mentioned. I was like, yeah. He said, is that the same Joseph, amazing technical dream coat? Or is that Joseph, mother, father of Jesus, kind of? Oh, yeah. You need those definitions. Go and find places to fish. Go and find people's lives to fish in. Go and find people. Jesus had this incredible way of being able to go and find a quiet place and everyone found him. There's very few people like that, though. I've never yet, I've had once, sorry, someone say to me, what must I do to be saved? And I was like, sorry? I thought you said you wanted to become a Christian. Yeah, I did. Oh, and that was at the end of a toddler group. But that has only ever happened to me once in 18 years of church leadership. People are not going to come to you and say, whilst queuing in co-op, what must I do to be saved? You have to be in their worlds. Go and find people. Go and find people. Sixth step. Hold steady. Hold steady. Don't give up too soon. And don't drop the stick or the net too soon. Hold steady. How long are you prepared to hold steady for for the people in your lives? How long? Because for some people, it's a 50-year pilgrimage. Hold steady. His ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. 
Currently at home, Mai is a friend of mine from Prostatting, and um, uh, she's slightly older. She married her husband 20 years ago. Wasn't sure if he was a Christian. They've both got sets of kids. They've got grandkids, and she's come over the weekend, and she's hanging out with the kids. And uh, her husband, 18 years, I think she prayed for him. Last January, he's been coming to church for a while. Last January, he decided during a preach to respond and he picked up a fork because I was challenging the church. The best is yet to come. Hold your fork. Heaven's waiting. He picks a fork up and we knew he'd become a Christian. And he begins to witness. And we don't know he's witnessing to people that he works with as an accountant and he's got a home business. He gets pneumonia. We pray for a miracle. Miracle doesn't happen. And in June, I walk into his hospital room, and he's just 70, and me and his wife hold his hands with four of my elders, and he goes to eternity. And we knew he'd said yes to Jesus. At his funeral, his wife said, I'm so glad I waited. I'm so glad I had faith. I'm so glad I didn't give up. When you have a church full of people who are crying, I don't even know if I've got a God. I don't know if God even exists. And you're able to say, he supported Liverpool as well. Mike never walked alone. I know me football. I'm from North Manchester. You don't grow up without understanding football. How long are you prepared to wait? My grandma prayed for my granddad for, tw- uh, yeah, something like six, seven years before he found faith. How long are you prepared to wait for your kids, for your grandkids, for your aunts, for your uncles, for your friends? Hold steady. Church, we've got bored too easily. Well, I took him to a Billy Graham crusade and they didn't get saved in 79. Why didn't they get saved in 79, Lord? I'm not, I'm not taking him anywhere again. Timings and seasons, God has a plan and a purpose. Also, step seven. Wait for the fish to bite. Fishing takes patience. Fishing takes patience, but fish will bite. People will ask. I lead a bit of an interesting life. I've got two boys, so that's interesting. Always interesting with two young boys. My husband can be in random nations of the globe, so people think it's odd when I go. I don't know where he is. He's genuinely, he could be in Ethiopia. He might be in Ghana. I wasn't paying attention when he told me what flight he was on. But I do funerals part time. I like doing a few, I love a good funeral. Sounds odd, but it's great because I can bring hope and life into dark places. And so on Friday, I was doing a funeral. And this lady, at the, not even at the funeral I was at, said to me in the car park, oh, are you going to town? Uh, I can pass that way. So jumps, gets in my car and says, oh, just drop me at this pub. All right. With her friends who've been at Marquise and Quim. They've been in the big room. I've been in the round chapel. I'm like, Lord, I did say this morning you could use me however you wanted, but I didn't think it was a taxi service. All right. So I'm driving. What do you do? Well, I did a, oh, well, um, and it transpires that one of them, one of them um, has lost her mother recently. And somewhere in town, as I'm like parked up and they're trying to climb out near the, old, near the assembly rooms, 
and there's taxis behind me. I'm now praying in my car with some woman who's had a little bit to drink before attending her friend's funeral, before she's going to go out and celebrate in style her friend's life, because she senses she needs prayer. I don't know what God was doing, but I went and found some people to fish with. Fishing takes patience. And the final step. Handle with care. Handle lives with care. Feed my sheep. Love my lost. Let's look after baby Christians. Let's look after those that are kind of close to coming to faith. Let's not just do what fish, some fishermen do. You're a Christian, great. Whack! Concussion. You're a Christian, great. Now you need to do all these things. Have you attended this course? Whoa, courses. We're doing courses. Well, have you, have you, have you done Alpha? Uh, what's Alpha? Oh, why are you not in a Bible study? Why are you not in a home group? What's home group? What? What, what do I do next? And do you know when baby Christians do stupid things? Because they, they kind of do. Can I remind you this? At some point, you tried to put your spoon in your ear when you were weaning. You didn't know what to do as a baby. At some point, you were like, there's my hand, there's a spoon, there's food in my eye. We so often forget that when we come to faith, we're baby Christians. And it takes time to learn to toddle. And those toddling Christians, those baby Christians, they toddle and they bang into things. And you're like, oh, why, why, why would you do that during communion? Because they don't know any different. We've all done crazy things. You are called church to follow and you're called to fish. Are you casting your nets? Oh, did this happen in your life? Come, follow me. Okay, Jesus. I'm done. I'll just have a nice Christian life. Me and my little family are going to go to heaven, but my entire road. I'm not going to ever tell about Jesus. People matter. About 40 years ago, yeah, 40 years ago this week? Yeah, it would be. My then uncle, age 13 went slit on ice, slid into a lake and almost drowned. His friend died. That freaked him out. There was a little church doing a little Sunday school and he went there that Sunday because he was freaked out because his friend died. He was rescued from under the ice because he had my grandma's yellow coat on. My grandma, even now, is furious that he wrecked her best coat. He survived, Grandma. He went to Sunday school. My my mum is two years older than him. So my mum got sent to Sunday school to look after him, to keep him on track, because he was the youngest of four. And she found faith. And my grandma decided that, as two of her kids were now going to Sunday school, and it sounded a bit like a cult, she should maybe go and check it out. So she went. Interestingly, my grandma fell pregnant at age 16. 
and she's in the Salvation Army. And I'm not entirely sure of the theology of this, but the Salvation Army at the time used to march up and down the main road of Oldham, casting out the demons, as you do, with clanging drums and all sorts. But age 16, the church rejected her and she failed, and she vowed never to go back into church again. All these years later, she goes to church, gets saved, hurrah, gets baptised, hurrah. Meanwhile, in Failsworth, my father and his siblings are kicking a ball that unbeknownst to them is a little church they're kicking it at. And they kick a ball through a window and break the glass. Awkward churches meeting. Vic, pastor, comes out, doesn't tell them off, invites them in. Doesn't shout about the window, invites them in. And my dad chooses to say yes to Jesus. I was born into a family of faith. I was in church nine months before I was born. Genuinely, nine months before I was, I was there. I'm like, yeah, I, was on, I went to a church holiday five months before I was born. Church weekend away, I was there. Morning, noon and night. I was raised in church, and it's a gift. It's a gift. But what if, what if that church got really fed of those flipping teenagers kicking balls at our church? So let's shout at them. What if the church decided these kids off this estate, because my mum lived on a really rough estate, at the time, still is a very needy estate in North Manchester. What if no one shared with my uncle? What if no one went fishing and doing Sunday schools? And the old stars, some of you remember this, to Sunday school, I like to go. No, you don't, never mind. That's my weekly. No, <sighs> you've not lived. Uh, tell you. What if people didn't show up? I wouldn't be here. What if? God's hand is on people's lives. But you are the hands and feet that he chooses to use to reach out and fish. 